Good morning, Edgewood, and happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. We appreciate you tuning in this morning and looking forward to perhaps seeing some of you uh, one week from today when we uh, do our phase in of the Sunday morning worship service. Again, the senior pastor will make mention of that when we transition from our Bible study here this morning to uh, our regular uh, service type format here on the live stream. Uh, but looking forward to that and looking forward to getting into the Word this morning. Now, just as we were getting ready to, to roll, we were doing a sound check and uh, I just randomly opened up my Bible to read so that I wouldn't have to think of something to, to say. And uh, the page fell on Psalm 92, which is a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. So I'm going to read the opening verses to Psalm 92 here and then open us with prayer and then we'll jump right into our Mark study. Psalm 92 says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness by night, with the ten-string lute and with the harp, with resounding music upon the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by what you have done. I will sing for joy at the works of your hands. Let's pray. Father, we, we do thank you and we do praise you for your many acts of kindness to us, uh, so many that we would be unable to count them, uh, in part because we don't even recognize or at least take the time to recognize just how abundantly kind and gracious you are to us every moment that we draw breath. Uh, would you give us hearts uh, that continue to, um, to beat with humility and with gratitude for what it is that we have in the person of Jesus Christ. And as we think about that, particularly in uh, what we read in the gospel according to Mark, we ask that you would give us renewed appreciation, a deeper insight, uh, greater awe, and a sense of worship in the things that we discuss. And it's in the name of Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, that we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible, you can uh, turn to Mark chapter 1. We are picking up at verse 16. Uh, just without going into too much of a recap, remember last week we had talked about Jesus in his baptism, Jesus being uh, sent out into the wilderness by the Spirit uh, to be tested and tempted by, uh, by Satan. And we said in all of these things, ultimately what's going on is that Jesus, right from the start, is being shown as one who identifies with or represents God's people uh, as the people go out to be baptized, to acknowledge the need for sin to be dealt with. Jesus goes and, uh, and identifies himself as the sin bearer. Uh, Jesus goes out, and just as Israel in the Old Testament was in the wilderness for 40 years being tested to see what was in their heart, uh, Jesus goes into the wilderness and is tempted for 40 days to see what is in his heart. When he returns, he begins, he sets out on his public ministry, and his, uh, his preaching is summarized in 115, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. And so now we pick up with the section that we have today. Our section this morning starts at verse 16 and runs through verse 39. Uh, I'm going to read right now verses 16 through 28, 
because I think in that uh, section there are a lot of uh, key themes that we want to keep together. So you follow along with me as I read and then we'll discuss. So Mark 1:16 through verse 28, as Jesus was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, "'What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth?' Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. Throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed so that they debated among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Immediately, the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. One of the things that I would want to say uh, right off, sometimes it's helpful to, to kind of take a step back and to get an idea of what we have in the big picture before we try to look a little closer at some of the details. Uh, in the broader picture of the immediate context here, one of the things that it would be helpful for us to do is to recognize that what seems to be um, one of the dominant, if not the dominant thoughts or points in this section of Mark's gospel is the reader, us, is our being confronted with the authority of Jesus. So in two places in the section that we just read, Jesus' authority is specifically cited. In verse 22, it says that he was teaching them uh, not like one of the scribes, but as one having authority. And then when the people in the synagogue see Jesus uh, cast out a demon, they say, what is this? We've never seen anything like it, a new teaching with authority. Next week, we'll look a little bit further uh, in chapter uh, 2, you have this authority issue come up again when Jesus heals the paralytic. Uh, he says, your sins are forgiven you. And there's a confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders who thinks that Jesus is blaspheming. And he'll say, to show you that I have the authority to forgive sins, and then he heals the paralytic. So clearly, one of the things that, that Mark is presenting to us right up front as Jesus begins to uh, interact uh, more directly, at least in our reading of the story, with people, what Mark is presenting us with is the unique authority that Jesus has. And it's in light of that that I want to now go back and start with this, uh, this first scene in the section that we've read, which is Jesus calling some of his disciples. Because I think when we recognize that Jesus is being presented as a man with a unique authority, that that helps us to appreciate what it is that Mark is presenting to us 
when Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee and seems to be randomly calling these men, these fishermen, to himself, and then shockingly, that with this guy walking on the beach calling men to himself, they just drop everything that they're doing and they come to follow him. So we're told in verses 16 through 20 that Jesus is moving along the Sea of Galilee and there are two, two sets of people that Jesus, that Jesus calls. And in both cases, he essentially says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And then Mark says, they left their nets and they followed him. And then that same thing happens again with another couple men that Jesus encounters. A lot of times when we read this, it seems so bizarre, so foreign to us because we think, now in what, in what kind of a setting or situation would anyone respond in this way? That some guy is walking along the beach while you're doing your work as a fisherman he calls to you and says, come follow me, and you just, no questions asked, drop what you're doing and you begin to follow him. You can, one of the ways to deal with this or one of the ways to address it is to consider that in John's account of the gospel, John gives us the impression that there has been, prior to this formal call, some sort of interaction that these men have had with Jesus in his early preaching and in his early ministry in the Galilee area. And so you could just simply say, well, Mark, for whatever reason, doesn't really tell us about the fact that these men had already encountered Jesus. And when we consider that, when Jesus makes his call and they respond, it really is not so strange or not so out of the ordinary. But of course, the, what that does is it causes uh, us to ignore the fact that Mark would have had that information. Mark could have easily put that in his account that there had been some sort of previous engagement or interaction between Jesus and these men, but he doesn't do that. Rather, Mark, in his telling of the story, writes the story in such a way that the average reader, if we had nothing else to go on, would have the impression that Jesus is just cold calling these men, and as he calls them, they stop what they're doing and they follow him. Why does Mark tell the story that way? I think in light of what happens in the rest of the passage where Jesus and his authority is being highlighted, that although Mark does not explicitly say Jesus called them with authority, that when we read the verses that follow, we then think back to what Jesus is doing and we say, well, this is sort of what this unique authority looks like in personal interaction that when Jesus calls to these men, it's by virtue of who He is in His nature, in the authority of the call that causes these men to respond. So if I could use John as an example again, in John chapter 10 where Jesus is referring to Himself as the Good Shepherd and uses the analogy of a shepherd and his sheep, He says, Jesus says, that when his sheep hear his voice, they recognize it, and they come. And I think that's something like what Mark is getting at here, just without the use of an analogy or an illustration, that Mark is presenting Jesus as having a unique authority that compels men, in this case, but as we'll see, men and women to respond to his personal call. 
This then goes a long way into shaping our perception of what discipleship is, what it means to follow Jesus. In part, at least at the outset here, what Mark relays is that discipleship looks like someone hearing the call of Christ and turning and responding, responding, feeling, uh, if we can say it this way, compelled to answer the call. Now, that's not to say that Jesus does not call people over a, a period of time, that there, in many cases, is not a process in which people are brought to Christ. We're not denying that at all. However, it is important to recognize that one of the distinguishing characteristics and features of Jesus' ministry and interaction with people is the unique way that Jesus can bring about an instantaneous and an immediate response by nothing else than the spoken word. And so Jesus calls these men and they immediately respond to his call and they become his disciples. Following on the heels of that, we're told in verse 21 that they come into Capernaum, a, a, a town uh, in the area of Galilee, and that on the Sabbath day, he goes into the synagogue to, uh, to hear scripture read. The synagogues, there was one temple in Jerusalem the one and only temple for the Jews, but scattered all across the land, and in fact, even outside of the region of Israel or Palestine, uh, across the Mediterranean world, wherever Jewish people could be found, they would have synagogues. Uh, synagogue is a word that means to gather together. So uh, a place where the Jewish people could gather and where they could come once a week to hear the law or the prophets read to them. And then what seems to be the characteristic, not just here in the Gospels, but even some extra biblical sources that we have, seems to indicate that one of, the, one of the habits or the patterns would be that someone in the synagogue gathering would be called upon to either read or to comment on some portion of Scripture. Jesus, in this case, is the one who is called upon perhaps by the synagogue leader would you come up and would you say something about what it is that we've just read or say something about the Scriptures so that people could think and reflect? Jesus comes up and, of course, immediately the people recognize that Jesus is teaching in a way that is unlike anything that they've heard before. In fact, we're told in verse 22 that they were amazed at His teaching for, here's why they were amazed, He was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The point here is that the scribes, the sort of uh, law experts, the religious theologians of the day, would tend to draw on their extensive learning and their formal training and they would root their interpretation of Scripture or their explanations on this um, wealth or this store of tradition that had been passed down from one teacher to the next over generations of religious thought. And so oftentimes if a scribe was teaching, he might refer back to a previous teacher or a previous generation, just like so-and-so said. This is what we're to understand. Jesus, in contrast, 
We're not given explicit detail just yet, but Jesus, in contrast, seems not to draw on anyone else's authority, but simply to draw on what appears to be his own authority, so that when Jesus speaks about the Scriptures, what Jesus says, he presents as being true simply because he says it. And then in close connection with that, we have uh, Jesus casting out the demon. Notice in in, uh, verse 24, when the demon-possessed man is uh, is in contact with Jesus, the, uh, the demon recognizes who Jesus is. At the end of verse 24, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Here again, just as a brief reminder, this is another unique feature in Mark that from the beginning of the gospel in verse 1, we're told as the readers that this is the good news about the Messiah, the Son of God. We know that at Jesus' baptism, the Father from heaven speaks and says, this is my Son, and that here in this case, it's the demons themselves who recognize who Jesus truly is. But all the way through Mark's telling of the gospel, no one seems to recognize Jesus' identity as the divine, eternal Son. Be that as it may. Jesus commands the demon to leave this individual, and then we're back again in verse 27 to the response of the people. What is this? A new teaching with authority. So even there in the exorcism, they link Jesus' authoritative teaching with His ability to pronounce or proclaim actions that the spiritual realm must adhere to. Jesus then characterizes or distinguishes Himself, we should say, right from the start as someone with unique authority. By the way, if we can pause right here just for uh, a minute of application, this is one of the things that um, that makes evangelism so difficult and requires so much wisdom and discernment on our part. Because on the one hand, Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament are not not opposed to reasoning with people or to arguing or debating with them. Uh, They oftentimes are found uh, pleading with people, trying to persuade them to believe the truth about Jesus and the gospel message. And yet, all the way through Scripture, there is also at that same time this foundational truth that what often is lying beneath the surface in this confrontation between faith and unbelief is the ability or the inability to recognize the authority of Christ. So in part, one of the things that we want to consider is as we go through our day-to-day lives and as we interact with family members or friends or coworkers who perhaps don't recognize Jesus to be the Son of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world, in part, the reason that they don't recognize that is because they don't recognize His authority. They don't hear the voice of Christ when they hear the Scriptures being read or when they hear a Scripture being repeated or recited to them. 
And if you don't recognize the authority of Christ, no amount of argument, no amount of pleading or persuasion ultimately is going to bring someone to recognize Jesus as being one with unique authority, the authority of the very Son of God. So I just say that not to try to discourage anyone or not to try to dissuade anyone, but to recognize that there is uh, reason for us to be patient. There is even reason for us to be very humble because to recognize, to feel compelled to come into the kingdom when we hear the voice of Christ is not something that we can take for granted. It's not as simple as working through a formula and coming out at the other end with a solution that fits everyone. There is a unique, miraculous way in which the authority of Jesus is recognized and responded to. Verse 29 then, coming off of the call of these early disciples and the recognition of Jesus' authority in His teaching and in His power over, uh, over the demon. Verses 29 and following, we read this, and immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And He came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to Him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door, and He healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And He was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who He was. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. He said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. Jesus' unique authority is displayed in the compelling call that He gives to His disciples that by virtue of the sound of His voice, men drop what they're doing and follow Him to answer His call to follow. Uh, his authority is demonstrated in the unique way that He teaches. He does not draw on the authority of other men or tradition, but in His own person, he has self-authenticating authority to be able to pronounce the teaching, the meaning of Scripture. And he also has the authority that extends even into the unseen realm to direct demons and to cast them out of men who have been possessed. In verse 29, if we were to continue along this idea of authority, we would say that Jesus even shows himself to have authority over sickness. Jesus' authority... Uh, is seen in His handling of the Scriptures, it's seen in His dealing with the spiritual realm, and now it's seen in the way that He deals with sickness. I'm not going to spend a lot of time right now on the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, except to point out just very quickly that Jesus seems to, to do this healing uh, late on the Sabbath day. Notice that the people don't begin to come to Jesus with other sick people until evening has come. 
That's when the Sabbath would have ended and it would have been permissible for them to carry people to do work, labor, to carry people to see Jesus. And probably what we'll find out a little bit later, that would have been, for the majority of people, the time in which it would have been permissible for a miracle worker to do the work of miracles. Jesus, however, has already performed one miracle before the people get to him on the Sabbath day, which is to heal Peter's mother-in-law. But that confrontation about Jesus' authority over the Sabbath won't come until a couple chapters later. It is important to recognize, though, that Jesus does have complete control over bodily illness. He heals many people, and people are coming to Jesus constantly seeking him out. So much so that we're told here and we're told elsewhere in the Gospels, Luke, for example, makes a big point about the fact that, one of, uh, that a habit that Jesus had was that before the sun would come up, he would oftentimes go and find a remote place outside of whatever town or village he happened to, uh, he happened to be in at that time. He would go to a remote place before the sun rose to pray. And then the picture that we get of Jesus is that from sunup to sundown, people were clamoring for his time, for his attention, for his healing, for his teaching. The paradox or something that we're not prepared for is the little exchange or the interaction that comes between Jesus and the disciples, particularly Peter, when they look for Jesus and find him out alone praying. Peter comes and says, everyone is looking for you, essentially inviting Jesus to come back so that there can be more healing, so that Jesus can interact with more people who are wanting him to perform a miracle. In our way of thinking, we would think, well, there's no way that you can possibly turn this down. If you have hordes of people who are coming to you because news and word about you is spreading everywhere, and because of the success of your ministry, more and more people come, well, just continue to perform this fruitful ministry. Heal more people. Let more and more people come. And yet Jesus says, let us go somewhere else nearby so that I may preach there also, for this is what I came for. In the few minutes that we have remaining, let me just sort of tie up our time by making this point. It is, it's striking that when Jesus has the opportunity here to continue to perform miracles, to heal those who are sick, to those who, have, uh, who are riddled with disease, to continue to cast out demons, that Jesus says, it is better that we leave here where successful healings are being performed, it is better for us to leave here and to go to other places where I can preach, for that is what I came for. I think the reason that Jesus says this is because we see in the Gospels, all of the Gospel writers in their own way sort of give this account, that it is possible for people to be drawn to Jesus because of the miraculous power that He displays in healing people of sickness and disease, 
It's possible to come to Jesus because of the miraculous power and the authority that he shows over the demonic realm, and yet to come to Jesus and and still not really know who it is that you're coming to, whereas Jesus seems to place a higher premium on those people who would come to him because of the word that he speaks. And I think what we begin to understand and what we see in the Gospels and the New Testament epistles, in fact, in the broader framework of the Christian life, is that more often than not, the the sign of a real disciple are those who hear the words of God and who respond regardless of whether or not there are any accompanying miraculous signs, regardless of whether or not we see any immediate instantaneous results as we would like to see. In other words, the the challenge for us is to recognize that in the same way that Jesus did not just constantly heal, but saw the heart of His ministry as one in which He would go out and by words proclaim the kingdom of God and announce the need to find forgiveness of sins, that ultimately is what's at the heart of our faith. And time after time after time, the thing that is going to fuel us and to keep us pressing on in the Christian life in the face of doubt and discouragement and disappointment is not going to be a regular recurring of miraculous events, but rather a regular exposure to the Word of God. So that just like we saw at the very beginning, what causes us to continue to follow Christ is that we hear His voice in the words of Scripture, and that when we hear His voice, we are compelled to continue to walk and to follow after Him. God is good and kind to heal. God is good and kind to provide and to give us tremendous gifts and even to do miracles according to His will and purpose. But ultimately, the people who will respond to Jesus in faith, those who are true disciples are those who come to Jesus not for the miraculous but because He has true food to feed them. They hear the words of Jesus, they recognize His authority, and they come to follow their shepherd and their king. Let's pray. Father, how easy it is for us to look to Jesus as a miracle worker who is here to serve and to meet our natural needs, the weaknesses of our flesh, uh, to do things that would make us uh, feel better or would make us more comfortable. And Father, I I don't want to look down on that. I call out for, for acts of healing. I call out for gifts of mercy and grace that would make this natural life easier to live and more enjoyable. But Father, do give us as your people the hearts that are set and settled and convinced on the words of Christ that we look and we hear in the pages of Scripture, in the words of Scripture, we hear the voice of our King and we are compelled to follow by faith because we believe what Jesus has said and because we believe that what Jesus has done for us on the cross and in His resurrection and ascension is effective and meaningful for us 
and will be shown to be true at his return. We thank you and praise you for the ability to see these things in Scripture. Amen. Thank you, Jonathan, for that Sunday School lesson, and we want to uh, welcome you to the uh, live stream of the Edgewood Baptist uh, Church Worship Service in Columbus, Georgia. I am Pastor Andy Merritt, and let me say before we go any further, Happy Mother's Day uh, to all of our moms, and just a little bit later, we'll have a special Mother's Day uh, message. You know, this has been the uh, eighth week uh, where we have not been able to meet together uh, as a church due to the uh, concerns related to the uh, coronavirus. And we're so excited uh, that we will begin meeting back together again next Sunday on May 17th. Uh, we'll follow the same format we have been following uh, at 10 o'clock uh, right here in the sanctuary. Jonathan, our Minister of Education, uh, will present an abbreviated a Sunday school lesson that'll go from 10 to 10:25, and then there'll be a 10-minute break, and we'll start the worship service at 10:35. Now there are uh, some very specific guidelines that need to be followed as we initially uh, return to do this in a very safe, responsible manner. If you're a part of the Edgewood Church family, you should have received those guidelines through the mail. You can also go to the uh, church website, uh, edgewoodga.com, and right there on the homepage at the top, you can click into those guidelines and see them. You can also uh, acquire them through our Facebook page. So it's very, very important uh, if you're planning to attend next Sunday that you go over those guidelines. And I'm not going to mention every one, but of course, uh, just several very important things. Uh, social distancing, and we all know what that terms mean, uh, maintaining a, a six feet uh, distance between ourselves, and so we want to make sure that we uh, maintain that as we are coming into services, uh, seated in the sanctuary as well, and as we exit. Uh, we've shared with you initially, uh, we will not be providing uh, child care, and so uh, you'll need to bring your children uh, with you into the service. We are providing multiple rooms where if you have a, a child, nursing child or say a child that becomes disruptive, uh, you could take your child to one of those rooms to uh, care for them. And there'll be monitors in each of those rooms where you can continue to watch the service uh, by live stream because we're going to continue uh, the live stream even though we're beginning to uh, meet back together uh, again. And then of course, uh, out of uh, an abundance of caution for our uh, senior adults and those who would have compromised health conditions, uh, we recommend that initially you do not attend the service but you continue uh, to watch it by means of the live stream. Uh, and so uh, we're, we are excited about getting back uh, together next Sunday, and we trust that many of you will take that opportunity. And uh, that's just the first phase. We've mentioned that we'll be doing this for about uh, the next three weeks through May, and then at the beginning of June we'll reevaluate, and we're 
hoping, praying that we'll be able to even open up things much more. Uh, going into June, um, not just services, but activities and ministries and just get back to uh, regular routine. But we'll, we'll just have to take that a step at a time, but we're glad to make this uh, first step. Let me also say uh, thank you. For, uh, so many of you in the Edgewood family uh, have been faithful in your giving uh, during these last two months when we have not been apart. And I want you to know how that is deeply uh, appreciated. We have truly experienced uh, God's grace uh, through your generosity. And uh, we just simply ask you to continue uh, to be faithful in your giving. As you know, the church offices have remained open during this entire time. So you can uh, bring your gift by the church office. You can uh, mail it to the church office. Uh, and there's also online giving, which has dramatically increased uh, during this time. And so you can go to the homepage of our website, upper right-hand corner, just click on to the uh, giving link, and it's very simple instructions to follow, and you can give that way. But again, uh, thank you for your faithfulness, and we just ask you to continue to be faithful, and we trust that uh, uh, the church's needs will be uh, met. And this has been a time where, uh, although we've not been meeting together, uh, we've had the opportunity to minister to a number of benevolence needs that have come through our church. Again, I appreciate Linwood uh, Spires, one of our deacons who heads up that benevolence ministry, and he's been uh, right there, Johnny on the spot for all these folks, working with them and uh, meeting their needs. Really appreciate Patty Stouffer, our church receptionist, who has been a stalwart, uh, been here every day, uh, maintaining the uh, phones uh, at the uh, reception office and, and, of course, the uh, entire staff as, as well. But uh, again, looking forward uh, to next Sunday getting back together. So let me pray, and then after I pray, I'm going to turn it right over to Andy Johnston, our Minister of Music, as uh, he leads us in a time of praise and worship uh, through music. Pray with me. Uh, Father, uh, we're thankful that although we have been apart now for a full two months, uh, you have made the provision for us to be able to uh, continue uh, providing Sunday school uh, and this worship service. Uh, also, uh, we appreciate Jonathan Wilson as he's provided uh, a children's uh, program each week for our little ones, also a youth Bible study and a devotional. So thank you for giving us the means uh, to be able to provide that for our people and the uh, broader community and for the many that have availed themselves of that and we trust have been richly blessed. And thank you that we will continue that, but also thank you that beginning next Sunday, we can make that first step of uh, really beginning to uh, come together again and uh, come together for not only Bible study, but corporate worship. And we just pray all that would fall into place and that you would bless us going forward. Continue to give us, as well as all the other churches in our community and around the nation, a wisdom and understanding. Uh, to know how best to do this in a responsible and safe manner. Uh, Father, we continue to pray for our nation, uh, that in your infinite mercy, that you would bring an end to this disease, that you would grant success 
and the medical community's efforts uh, to provide treatments and a vaccine. Continue to give wisdom and understanding uh, to the federal, state, and local governments as they try to navigate uh, this very uh, uh, tricky move of opening things back up, again, in a responsible and safe uh, manner. And so we just pray you would uh, overshadow us with your presence and give us guidance through that process as we have always prayed in the midst of this great crisis and challenge that you would step right into it. And uh, we thank you that you are, uh, that you're using this to bring and draw many people to uh, the saving knowledge of Christ. Uh, you're using this to challenge your people and to take us deeper in our trust and confidence in you. Uh, bless us in this service, especially as we bless our moms. And uh, we pray that they would know great encouragement and affirmation and joy this day. So, Lord, uh, open our hearts to freely and openly, uh, with great uh, affection and adoration, uh, express our love to you now. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, and thank you so very much for tuning in. Uh, this morning for our live stream service. I want to encourage you right now to grab a Bible. Um, if you don't already have one with you, most of you probably do, and turn to Psalm chapter 96. Psalm chapter 96. Before we get started in our worship, just a very encouraging scripture um, that speaks of how worthy our God is to be worshiped. And in Psalm 96, verse 1 says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in his splendor and the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. And that's what we want to do. Tremble before him today, proclaiming that he is the God of all and proclaiming that he created all, and proclaiming that he is so worthy to be praised. This morning I'm doing something a little bit different as we have a medley of older hymns that um, most of us grew up with singing. Um, and so we just encourage you to rejoice in the Lord if you want to stand, if you want to sit. However you can best worship the Lord this morning, let's just proclaim and tremble before him. of worship, worthy of praise, worthy of honor and glory, worthy of all the glad songs we can sing, worthy of all of the offerings we bring, you are worthy. Father 
sustainer you are worthy worthy and wonderful worthy of worship and praise almighty father almighty father master and lord king of all kings and Counselor, Comforter, Friend, Savior and Source of all life without end. You are worthy, Father, Creator, you are worthy, Savior, Sustainer, you are worthy. Oh, 
of Jesus we can proclaim that in his wonderful name his name is wonderful his name is wonderful his name is wonderful Jesus my Lord he is the mighty king the master of everything his name wonderful Jesus my Lord he's the great he's the great shepherd the rock of all ages almighty God is he bow down before him love and adore him his Spirit of the 
thank you, Andy, for that. Well, on this uh, Mother's uh, Day, uh, let me begin uh, by asking the question, uh, do uh, any of you uh, know moms out there who are running on empty? Well, if uh, you do, uh, it's easy to understand why those moms are running on empty. Have you ever thought about all the jobs that a mother does uh, in a typical day? Uh, executive housekeeper, a laundry manager, janitor, maintenance supervisor, groundskeeper, garbage collector, dietitian, cook, seamstress, recreational director, nurse, psychologist, counselor, spiritual advisor, judge, coach, referee, teacher, art director, mediator, disciplinarian, veterinarian, shuttle driver, event planner, photographer, social media watchdog, financial manager, and last but not least, shopper. Now, I get tired just reading that. Can you imagine actually trying to do all of that? I love what one mother uh, wrote with several children uh, concerning the multiplicity of the task that she's called on to perform as a mom. Quote, why did no one prepare me for what I was getting into before I had a child? Why did no one give me a detailed list of exactly what I was agreeing to? Just think about it. What if, before becoming a mother, someone would have sat you down and had you read through a document that would just lay it all out there? what you were about to get yourself into, and then you had to agree to the terms of service before becoming a mother. For example, one, I agree to put another human being's needs above my own in every single way imaginable and sacrifice everything I have for said human being. Two, I agree to never again know what a full night's sleep is for the next 20 years. Three, I agree to sacrifice my body, my finances, my time for whatever this tiny human being needs for the rest of my life. Four, I agree to be a human taxi cab and drive kids around to various activities at all hours of the day and night and put 90,000 miles on a new car in less than three years. Yes, you read that right. That's how many miles I've put on my car running to basketball and baseball and football and dance and voice and school and sleepovers and parties, etc., etc., etc. Five, I agree to do loads and loads of laundry every week and never again be able to see the bottom of a laundry basket. Six, I agree to never again be able to take a trip with my husband without coordinating a million different activities, drop-offs and pickups, and leaving a seven-page document that details the comings and goings of all the kids while being gone. 
Seven, oh yes, I agree to FaceTime with them the entire time I am away because they miss me and I miss them. And you know what? Because I quickly realize there is just no such thing as traveling without a care in the world once you have kids. Eight, I agree to bear said children's every burden and feel it as if it were my own. Nine, I agreed to pay a small fortune for my kids' braces, activities, schooling, clothes, etc., and go w- without things important to me so that they can have what they want and need. Ten, I agree to, well, just fill in the blank with a million other sacrifices that parents will make for their children. Another mother summed it all up very well. Motherhood, she wrote. It's the marathon of a lifetime, and it's not for anyone who wants to take a shortcut and shave off a few miles. It's trying. It's exhausting. It's like running uphill for 18 years. Somehow, during the tough days, the joy gets stuffed deep down into our hearts under layers and layers of stuffing. It's difficult to figure out where all the joy and happiness of motherhood went. You know, I have observed in my years in the ministry that most moms struggle with the twin emotions of exhaustion and guilt. Exhaustion because they're doing too much and guilt because they feel like they're not doing enough. That is a terrible trap to be in. But most moms are there. And the last thing I want to do in this message is to give moms another to-do list in light of their busy lives. Instead, we are going to look at what moms need and how we can help them, how their children can help them, their husbands can help them, other family and friends can help them. I've entitled the message filling up mom's emotional love tank when she's running on empty. (laughs) Filling up mom's emotional love tank when she's running on empty. This message is built on a survey that was taken by Christian moms. In the survey, the moms were asked, in light of the frustrations in your life, What do you need most? Where do you need the most help? What did moms say they need most? Well, here are the seven top answers. Number one, patience. Moms need patience. Dealing with the demands of raising small children. Moms need patience. Dealing with the challenges of relating to teenagers. Mom, need patience. Dealing with the changes in relating to adult children. In Psalm 78, verse 41, after enumerating the many things God has done for His people, uh, we read, again and again, they tested God's patience. Moms, ever felt like that? What I want you to realize is that when you get to the point of exasperation, 
and your patience is running on empty, God says to you, Mom, I understand. Don't make the mistake of concluding that just because you feel impatient that you are a bad mom and now God is mad at you. No, God understands how you feel better than anyone else. In Ephesians 4, 2, we read, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Notice, patience is an expression of love. And the greatest expression of love is when you choose to invest in your child's life even when you feel impatient and exasperated. In a message a couple of weeks ago, our focal passage was on James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Listen to verses 3 and 4, but from the Living Bible. When the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow. So let it grow. And do not try to squirm out of your problems. For when your patience is finally in bloom, then you will be ready for anything, strong in character, full and complete. My mom was a godly person, and I've often talked about her from this pulpit and the impact she had on my life. Much of her strong character can be attributed to the patience she learned in dealing with her three children. Uh, Just to give you a few examples, my brother Mark would literally wrap these very large snakes around his neck with the head coming out like right next to his, pointing in the same direction, and then he would go up to our house, ring the doorbell, and you can imagine the heart attack my mom had when she answered the door, and he just repeatedly would do that and always get away with it. Uh, Mark uh, set uh, a portion of Andrews Air Force Base uh, on fire. I don't think he did it intentionally. You have to ask him. Uh, My sister Sue, uh, she pushed every boundary set by mom, but she was one of those individuals that that could never get away with anything. She would always get caught And as a result, she lived the majority of her teenage years in restriction. Unlike my sister, I was more clever and devious in getting away with things. So I gave mom the opportunity to worry about all the things I might be doing. Uh, There were things I did not confess to my mother until after I became a Christian as a young adult. like the time when I blew up a transformer and knocked out, uh, knocked out the power on an entire military installation. Uh, both my brother and I uh, struggled with substance abuse. My point is this. My mom's three children were the anvil and hammer God used to pound mom and shape her into the image of Christ. Now, I'm sure... There are some teenagers thinking right now, hey, this is great. The more irritating I am, the more trouble I get into, the more patience mom can learn and grow spiritually. Well, before you go too far with that line of thinking, uh, listen to Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. 
do for others what you would like them to do for you. This is known as the golden rule, and it applies to moms too. When mom's patience is running on empty, give her some patience. That's how you would want to be treated. So treat mom the same way. And all the moms out there say, amen. Second, moms not only need patience, moms need appreciation. Philippians 1.3 reads, I thank my God every time I remember you. And moms, we do thank you. Uh, to express it, appreciation for his mother, uh, one person wrote down the things my mother taught me. And for each point, he gave a quote uh, from his mother. And I thought you would enjoy this. For example, my mother taught me to value a job well done. If you're going to kill each other, do it outside. I just finished cleaning. My mother taught me all about time travel. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. Irony. Keep crying, and I'll give you something to cry about. I like this one. Osmosis. Shut your mouth and eat your supper. <laughs> Stamina. You'll sit there until all that spinach is gone. Weather. This room of yours looks as if a tornado went through it. Hypocrisy. If I've told you once, I've told you a million times, don't exaggerate. Circle of life. I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. Behavior modification. Stop acting like your father. Anticipation. Just wait until we get home. Receiving. You are going to get it when you get home. Medical science. If you don't stop crossing your eyes, they're going to freeze that way. Wisdom. When you get to be my age, you'll understand. And then justice. One day, you're going to have kids, and I hope they turn out just like you. <laughs> we love you moms. You know, at the beginning of this message, I mentioned the many jobs a mom performs. I read an article uh, just this past week that estimated the annual salary for a stay-at-home mom if you paid her. How much would she have made this last year? One hundred. And $78,201. That's right, $178,201. Now, sorry, moms, you're never going to see a penny of that money. But what a mom needs more than money is to be paid with verbal appreciation. A mom struggles with feelings of inadequacy. She often feels that she never does enough for her child. And sadly, that is reinforced by our failure to adequately express appreciation to our moms. When you express appreciation to your mother, it provides her feelings of worth. It lets her know 
that you truly value all that she's done, all that she is doing, and all she will do for you. Moms, I want you uh, to see a video right now uh, as we take uh, this opportunity to express our heartfelt appreciation by letting you know your love is more than enough.
before we move on, let me say to our moms, what we appreciate most is not that you are perfect. Uh, moms are human, like the rest of us. They have faults. Uh, they make mistakes. Reality is, uh, moms do not live up to their own standards and often think they do not measure up. What endears us to our mothers is that they love us with a love that never gives up on us. And moms, that is truly more than enough. And I can say as an individual whose mother passed away several years back, my only regret is that I did not say thank you to my mother enough while I had the opportunity. So let's give them our appreciation, not just on Mother's Day, but every opportunity that we have. The third thing that mothers said they needed most was moms need a life. Uh, moms talked about the struggle of trying to please so many, many different people and running in so many different directions that they never have time for themselves. A study of 2,000 mothers with preschoolers discovered that the average mother ends up having right about 17 minutes a day to herself. 17 minutes a day to herself. 70%, 75% of the moms said even when they have those rare moments to themselves, they really can't relax because they're thinking about work that still needs to be done. Moms need a life. She needs a break from the kids to get her batteries recharged. You know, I'll, I'll be honest right here. I was very insensitive to this early in Kathy and my uh, marriage. Uh, so let me just speak a moment uh, to dads. Every mom knows that she needs a break every once in a while from the kids. And every dad knows he needs to spend more time with the kids. Therefore, it seems there is a solution if we would just act on what we already know in our hearts. But I'll tell you from experience, if you don't plan for it to happen, it will not happen. And so I really encourage you dads uh, to take the initiative to give your wife a break from the kids by being very deliberate, intentional, and planning for those times where you can take them and, uh, away for several hours for a fun activity and give the mom some time on her own. We need to be especially sensitive to single moms or a military mom whose husband is deployed. Most of us could uh, watch their kids from time to time and provide them a little break. Uh, the church can also help out uh, through our Mother's Morning Out program on uh, Thursdays and other activities that we provide uh, uh, childcare for that mothers can take uh, advantage of. So moms need a life too, so let's help give it to them. The fourth thing that moms said they needed was wisdom. Moms need wisdoms. Moms stated the need for wisdom to protect their children from negative influences and guide them along the right path. 
When do I hold on? When do I let go? When do I say yes? When do I say no? How and when is the best way to encourage and discipline my children? James 1.5 reads, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and He will give it to you. How can we help moms here? Pray for them. Pray that God will give them wisdom. Just pause a moment. You children, you dads, do you pray for your mom? Do you pray for your wife? Do you pray for her regularly? Well, this is one of their great needs. And let me give you a great prayer to pray for your mom. And it's the prayer found in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. This is the perfect prayer for a mother, to pray for a mother. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. It reads, we ask God to give you complete knowledge of His will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all His glorious power, so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. So you children, whether you're a young child, teenage child, adult child, you dads, write that passage down, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. And I challenge you, begin to pray that uh, for your mom or your wife on a regular basis. The fifth thing that mom said, said that they needed was validation. Moms need validation. And what they're talking about here is the validation uh, on motherhood itself uh, Proverbs 31, verses 28 through 31 is a great validation of motherhood. It says, uh, her children, referring to a mom, her children stand and bless her. Her husband praises her. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Reward her for all she has done. Let her deeds publicly declare her praise. You know, despite what our culture tells us, motherhood is the single most important occupation because mothers are building persons, buildings, businesses, corporations, bank accounts, governments, they're not going to last forever. The only thing that's going to last forever is people because people have eternal souls. Therefore, what could be more important than an occupation like motherhood that is building persons? What could be more important than raising up little girls to be women of faith? What could be more important than raising up little boys to become champions for Christ? There is no greater occupation than motherhood. 
So as we just read in Proverbs, validate your mom. As it said, children, bless her. Husbands, praise her. The sixth thing that mom said they needed was communication. Communication. Moms need to talk, and they need to be listened to. If you are married to a mom, you need to take her out on a date regularly to give her an opportunity to have some adult talk and to be listened to. Uh, And again, as we stated earlier, uh, if you don't plan for this to happen, it's not going to happen. Probably the most impactful thing that Kathy and I have done in our entire marriage, and I'm not embellishing here, was after our second child, as we began to see Kathy's needs uh, along these very lines, uh, we began to have a date night uh, every week. And we have been doing that now uh, for uh, many, many years, 40, 40 plus years, we've been doing that every week. Uh, and that's just our time together. And of course, it gets, gives Kathy the opportunity to have a little adult conversation, to talk, and to be listened to. Many moms stated in the survey that they especially needed to hear from their teenagers, their desire to have more talks and conversation with their teenagers. And let me just uh, uh, remind you teenagers, how should you talk to your mom? Well, we find it in Ephesians 4, 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So moms need communication. And then the seventh, final thing that I'll mention that mom said they needed is faith, faith. Moms talked in the survey about their struggle with worry. And we all know moms have a tendency uh, to worry for the rest of the family. And that's just out of their big, great hearts of love for us. Uh, Moms need to have faith that God is in control. They need to realize that every worry is an invitation to place trust in God. Every worry is an invitation from God to place your trust in Him. Psalm 62, 8 reads, Trust in Him at all times. Pour out your heart to Him, for God is our refuge. What a wonderful invitation that God is giving there to our moms. Trust Him. Pour out your hearts to Him. For God is your refuge. And then Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. When I am afraid, and yes, you are going to be afraid. You are going to struggle with worry. That's inevitable. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in thee. Again, you see that every worry is an invitation to put your trust in God. He says, in God whose word I praise. In God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. You know, moms, one thing my wife Kathy did and still does to this day. She's been doing it for years. She'll write up uh, verses of uh, just affirmation, and she'll pin them up on her mirror in the bathroom or on the uh, refrigerator, just different places in the house. So as she goes about her work and uh, and uh, managing the the, the children, uh, there are those affirmations from from the scripture uh, to strengthen, to reinforce her life. 
to build her faith when she uh, gets down or she's struggling uh, with worry. So, so let me just sum up this entire message in one word. This hasn't been primarily directed to mothers. It's been directed to the rest of us, uh, looking at what a mom needs and how we can help her. So what does your mom need most from you? Well, one word, mom needs you to repent. <laughs> repent. And what does it mean to repent? It's a change of attitude that brings a change of actions. So this is my plea to you. When your mom's emotional love tank is running on empty, or your wife's love tank is running on empty, she's trying to manage the children, give her your patience. Share with her words of appreciation. Verbalize it. She needs to hear it. Provide time for her to have a life of her own. Pray for her regularly that God will give her wisdom. Use that prayer in Colossians 1, verses 9 through 12. Validate that what she does as a mother is important and that it's having an impact on your life. Communicate with her. Talk with her. Listen to her. She is a person, and she has needs just like you. So treat her as you would want others to treat you, and then encourage her to put her faith in God. Do this not just on Mother's Day, but every day. Moms, we love you. We appreciate who you are and what you do. Happy Mother's Day. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for our mothers. Uh, I believe it was um, the great evangelist D.L. Moody many years ago uh, that said the probably closest thing that we have on planet Earth uh, to demonstrate the love of a God uh, is the love of a mother for her child. And so, Lord, we thank you for our mothers and Lord, as we've just stated in this message, it's very obvious that they struggle with what often is, appears to be just an impossible task. Uh, and it is true, they do struggle with feelings of inadequacy. They don't measure up to their own standards. They struggle with those twin emotions of exhaustion and, and guilt being overwhelmed with having too much to do, but feeling guilty that they're not doing enough. And Lord, you've given us to them to remind them, to encourage them. Yes, mom, you're doing enough because your love is enough. So Lord, I pray that you'll help us as children, as grandchildren, as husbands, as family and friends of moms, that, that we'll take this message to heart, that we will really put it into uh, practice, and that when uh, our mom's emotional love tank 
is uh, running on empty, uh, you'll use us, uh, you'll use us uh, to fill it up as we express our, uh, these various things as we've mentioned uh, today. Uh, so Lord, bless and encourage our moms this day. Uh, let them know your joy. Uh, let them know the adequacy of Christ. And Lord, especially as we sort of ended that message, that last point, help them see that every worry, every challenge, every child is an invitation from you to place their trust in you, knowing that you will be adequate because nothing is impossible with our God. For it's in his name we do pray. Amen. Jesus, Jesus.